they wrote their set of cold emails, um, especially in the beginning, I would check it before we sent it on to the client. But what I would do is I would screen share and go over their emails and show them what I was thinking when I said to them, hey, this, think of this line and this line, there's too much text here. You probably need to remove this because of this and that. Or the way that you've ended this, you just said, hey, let's have a chat. That's not a question. This has to end in a question like, can we chat next week, Tuesday? You know, and I would record that, send it back to them. And so they could get into my head more than just me making notes um, or just changing the emails. And I, you know, I still do that too today because I feel like you know, sharing video like that allows you to get into someone's head and what they're thinking. I'm just speaking about what I'm thinking versus trying to just, hey, fix this, do this, do that. Hi there, and welcome back to another edition of Built to Sell Radio, the podcast designed to help you punch above your weight in a negotiation to sell your company. I'm the executive producer, Colin Morgan, and today on the show, John was joined by South African entrepreneur, Jason Bagley. Now, before I tell you about Jason, I just want to give a huge shout out to our LinkedIn community. We had a guest, unfortunately, cancel on us last minute, which does happen. So we took to LinkedIn asking if anyone had any recommendations for someone who could fill in last minute and be a guest. And we were overwhelmed by the amount of comments and recommendations. We got specific shout out to Simon Chapazoy, who recommended Jason to be a guest here this week. So big shout out to Simon and thank you everyone who follows us on LinkedIn. If you don't follow us on LinkedIn, I will share John and I's LinkedIn profile in the show notes section, which can be found over at builttosell.com. Okay, so now let me tell you about Jason Bagley, who in 2013 started Firing Squad, which was a lead generation company specializing in cold email. Now for Jason, this was a cash flow business. So when Southern Web approached him to acquire the company, he was hesitant at first, but eventually warmed to the idea and signed an acquisition offer in 2020 to sell his company to Southern Web in a deal he would later regret. Here to share with John the full story is Jason Bagley. Enjoy. Jason Bagley, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Glad to be here, John. Uh, super excited to be chatting to you. Tell me about Firing Squad. How did you start this business? <laughs> so Firing Squad came out of I guess me running, being a freelance web developer, really. And uh, that then became, you know, I just got to a point where the one person that I was working with, sending him all the design work, we got to a point where he was taking leave or taking holiday from his main job to work on, you know, my work. And eventually at a point, we got to a point like, hey, we need to grow this into a proper business. And it sort of just took off from there. Um, that was the web development part of it, but we got to a point realizing this was a service agency. So we we're selling hours technically, or we were just selling hours. And um, I never went out and did any sales for the business. I just, we just relied on referrals. And we grew this to a pretty decent size. We were about 10 or 12 staff at a time, but only did referrals. And we're also running a web design agency. It's a race to the bottom in terms of like, you know, to become a complete commodity with these web builders, you know, site builders that you have today, Squarespace and all of that. And uh, we looked at our clients um, that are bringing in the most revenue and right at the top of that list, which you couldn't believe, was a company we just did newsletters for. 
And that's where we were like, wait a second, why don't we pivot this business to being email marketing specialists? And so we did that. Um, but off the back of that, I started to send out a bunch of cold emails um, to try and land sales for this. So the first time I'm actually going out and doing proper sales. And I realized how well we, I did that, that when I was booking a ton of meetings for this, and I was realizing, wait a second, ultimately everyone just gives, cares about sales. Whether they wanted a website, whether they you know, were off to go design a logo, whatever, it's all about just generating more sales. And that's why I then was like, well, let me sell this thing that I'm like using to pitch them on. And I would sit in meetings going, you know, so how do you know this works, Jason? I was like, well, I'm sitting in this meeting with you because I cold emailed you and now this, so this works. And that's sort of the, you know, where, you know, peak at what firing squad became uh, an, an outbound. Cool. So, so, the, so the evolution business. was web, web design shop to, hey, newsletters, e-newsletters, email newsletters, that's super profitable. But then you went even a further to specialize in cold email, which is a subset Correct. of email marketing in and of itself. Wow. What's your secret to writing a cold email? Uh, it's being able to spike somebody's emotion when they read the email, right? Because I think we get a lot of really rubbish. We all get cold emails, tons of them. Um, but it's the ones that we find that writing something different in it, writing something that is not what you would usually see in an email. Um, uh, we've often used the line, the first line of an email and said like, hey, John, um, at the end of this email, I'm going to ask you for uh, a meeting. But if you can give me just two sentences, just read on for two more sentences and I'll show you why. And like that's like an opening line that like no one sees at all. Um, and so that changes the, you know, it spikes someone's emotion when they read. It's like, who's this guy? What is this? I've never seen this before. That's what makes for a part of a good uh, cold email. We get so many questions about this, but before we get into <laughs> the, the the drill down on cold email, I want to go to the decision to really niche down, go from a web design shop to specializing in email. A lot of people are squeamish about that degree of specialization because they built a company up to whatever. In your case, a dozen employees, you got mouths to feed, you've got you know, probably a million bucks in revenue or something like that. And the idea of specializing for a lot of people say, but, but I'll lose half my revenue. What went through your mind when you made the decision to specialize? Well, we were starting to lose revenue. And I think that was what, that was one of the catalysts for like trying to specialize. And I think the other thing, what one of the other decisions that was happening was like, Every time a client walked in the door, it's prospective client, it was, well, we need this thing built. And it was like, well, what's it going to cost? And it was like, how long is a piece of string? That, and that, I think, was a, that's what frustrated us because, you know, some clients, we then started asking, like, well, what's your budget? And, you know, so we started to play this back and forth game. And we always looked at around productized services, I think. It was in the early stages of what productized services, what you see sort of today, we, you know, it's one fixed price for a service, like an SEO service, but you're getting a very specific outcome from it. And that's what 
attracted us to it. It was, you know, it would have been retainer based. So that was really, really exciting. We had some retainer clients, but it was very ad hoc from like what we did for them. Um, you know, I'd say I was probably more inexperienced than anything else at this stage. And the other thing I think what we were starting to get, you know, realizing that the budgets clients were spending with us were getting less and less for what we were doing. Duck slowly, you start incrementally realizing even the big brands. I mean, we've worked with the likes of like Red Bull and, you know, in South Africa, some really, really big brands. And they were giving us smaller and smaller budgets. And I was like, mm, this isn't so fun anymore. And that's why we were like, how can we change this? Um, and, you know, that's where we looked at the email and marketing. What did, you do, what did you do to productize email marketing? Uh, so what we did was we just we came up with sort of like two packages um, and would have been, you know, it was actually just a replica of exactly what we were doing for, you know, in, in South Africa, the company's called Incredible Connection. It's like an equivalent of a Best Buy in, in the US. Um, and we were delivering, you know, weekly more and more than a couple of emails a week for them. So we just took what we were doing for them and we created a product for that. And then we created like a cheaper product or service, sorry, um, and that was for like a more entry level um, service um, for the two, and then changed our entire website. We, we completely changed what, what you know the messaging and everything. And we, you know, in order to then like launch it, it was quite an interesting story for this. Is we just we didn't have a big email list. We weren't sending out newsletters ourselves, and so we took all of our clients and our ex clients and some friends and you know acquaintances and that whoever we we thought we'd wouldn't mind receiving a first email from us, even though we've, you know, they haven't signed up to anything. And uh, honestly, there were about 50 people on that list, 60 people. And off the back of that one email that we said, like, hey, we're now changing this business to do this. We saw one of, an ex, one of, the big, one of our big ex-clients that we hadn't worked for for a few years open the email uh, multiple times, meaning that I'd either probably forwarded on internally or, you know, there's obviously a, some chain of emails going back and forth in there uh, internally. And so I picked up the phone to phone them um, just to like say hi. And they were like, oh, yeah, we were just chatting about you. You know, I was like, I know. <laughs> I don't want to like tell them we were watching the stats, but like, and that landed a massive, massive retainer. And we were like, cool, we're off to the races. This is working. That's awesome. All in the back of, of one email to 50 people. Um, yeah. How did you, so tell me about the staff. So you make the switch to productizing. You've got these two offers in the email marketing space. What was the staff count at the time? And, 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 how, and just describe, describe the team that you had. Yeah. So at that time, so look, we did obviously make the pivot in our selling the email marketing, but we still had a few clients that we were doing, you know, the websites for and design work for. Um, at the time, I would say we were probably down to maybe eight of us, I would say, um, at that stage um, when we sort of made that pivot. Um, we had a few software developers on our team. Um, and as the work sort of like, you know, moved, became less and less, they saw it. And sort of I even helped some of them find you know, positions um, in, in other companies. But, you know, they loved working for us. So, you know, it, it got to a point where I was like trying to have these conversations like, hey, listen, you can see work's drying up and they weren't being challenged as much anywhere themselves. 
Um, and you know, software developers are, are like hands deep, you can't find them. So they're easy to find, help find them positions. Um, yeah, so that was the size of the team. And then as we were sort of like, we're pivoting more and more, you know, we landed a couple more email marketing clients, but stabilized around, I'd probably say, you know, it dropped down to eight, probably six. I mean, it was a couple of years ago, this, but I'd say six is where sort of then the shift completely had happened. And were you the one doing the writing of the cold emails? Um, so for the email marketing, no, the clients were obviously sending us the copy. Um, but when we then I started to do the, you know, wait, this dish, this other service of cold, actual just cold emailing and building of prospect lists and delivering those emails. Yes, I wrote all those cold emails. So you would you would personally write the cold email and then you had a team that would buy a cold list like from a list broker. What, what was your source of, a, of the list? Yeah, so I used, we used Upwork like straight up. So I went to I didn't know necessarily how that how to you know do this work um, myself. So and we often use freelancers off Upwork for bits and pieces of work, and that's where I found this like wealth of people that would do this. I guess list scraping, list building, um, the very specific parameters that we would give them, um, and then we built an entire process around how we handled that data to make sure it was clean and made sure it worked. Um, so pretty pretty decent or in terms of data analytics that we were starting to do of the list and then the deliverability as well. So that became sort of part of like what made the product even better. Um, but yes, just straight up Upwork, got some people to do it and built the lists like that. And did you let the brands that you were working with kind of see behind the curtain and let them know you know, how you were getting the third-party names? Did they kind of know that you were scraping and using Upwork and that kind of stuff? Or was that sort of left, you know, the black box was not revealed to the <laughs> client? So in, we actually got to a point where we stopped building lists. We built such a great partnership with, with a company actually out of, out of India that we realized it became a lot of work for us to manage that. So we actually just started to tell our clients, hey, speak to this person. They will hook you up with really great lists. We'll then work with them to then pull the, that data. So I was never, I never, you know, the black box for us because building lists and then also delivering the emails, there's so many, so much software that allows you to do this these days. And, you know, two, three years when we were doing this, so many that I was like, that's not our secret source. Our secret source, and I always say this, was our ninja skill was writing cold emails and knowing what to put in, you know, how many emails we should be sending and who we should be targeting and what we should be saying. That was sort of our secret, you know, our ninja skills that we had. Um, but the list building was, no, we never hid it from anyone, but we just made, we would send it to the client because they needed, we wanted, we were not on the high volume side. We were the low volume. We were like high quality, specific individuals that we know would be great client. You know, if you looked at the list, you wanted to go down this list and go, yes, yes, yes. I want every single one of these people as clients. That made a great yeah. list. Yeah, yeah. I want to come back to the ninja skill in a moment. Before mm. doing so though, I, I want to ask about email, you know, privacy, email law. Cause I'm, I'm in, in Canada where we have really strict, I think they're called GDPR. I think Europe has GDPR, I think. No, we have something called yes. CAN-SPAM. Mm. Europe has GDPR. The US has its own thing. But suffice it to say, 
you know, a lot of countries have all this sort of regulation. And I'm wondering some of the brands like a Red Bull is like a global brand that would have to sort of be careful not to be Mm. seen as being offside on any of these rules. How did you guys stick handle that? So when we would start, when we started this like, you know, Legion, South Africa as example, and in Europe also, they were in the very early stages of GDPR um, and we had no laws in our country. We have got what they call the Poppy Act. So similar thing. It didn't exist back then. So us sending out this, I guess, unsolicited cold email wasn't uh, an issue. Um, but obviously those laws then came into place and I, we actually had a client in Canada that we tried this out and it wasn't that we got into any trouble. It's just that in Canada, nobody replied. Um, so... <laughs> But so we learned quickly, okay, maybe that's not a great market because they don't want this. But I think most of the, so at that time we weren't, obviously the Red Bull side was more on the email marketing and the web design. We weren't doing any, you know, cold email for them. But the companies we were doing it for were not like small, but they weren't the large brands. Um, They were probably, you know, there were a lot of them were doing two to $10 million in in annual revenue. You know, they had a big team, probably five to 10 salespeople, some of them, and we were helping them out. And what we realized, what we were doing, because we weren't doing these volume where you get companies to send out 10, 50, you know, 100,000 emails, we were on the low volume side of things and we were doing a great job of the emails. We got so many replies that said, I loved your email. Like, this isn't for me, but I loved the, the way you wrote this email. You know, like, good luck. Like, we had so many awesome. examples of that. And I knew that we were doing a good thing by it. You know, right. Business and when you make people smile, appreciate even though they're not customers, they're not going to report you as junk or spam. You know, like, it, it, there's a bit of a give yeah. take. But when, pe- when you offend people or you do something that's so egregious, then yeah, you're going to get, you're going to get junk. Um, I want to go back to something you said, which your ninja skill was writing these cold emails. This is something that you, Jason, are really good at. Were, were you able to teach other people on your team to write the emails? Yes. So by the end of sort of, well, by the growth of Firing Squad, I, I didn't want to write cold emails anymore. Um, typical like business owner, like, hey, doing this thing in the beginning, but like, no, I got bored of it. And yes, I managed to, you know, ha- having written so many uh, for different types of companies, I was able to show people what did and didn't work um, with cold emails in our team um, and just found really great, you know, writers that had a knack for it, but I just they just needed a bit of, you know, uh, polishing. Um, and I would always just check the emails like before. And then at a point I stopped. So yes, I was able to teach others and how to, how to do it. People listening to this in service businesses are, I think, sitting at the edge of their seat right now because <laughs> it's, I think they, they understand that you can create a process for buying a list or, you know, deploying an email or laying out a, an email properly in HubSpot or something. But when it comes to teaching their secret sauce, in other words, their creativity, if they're an architect, Mm. if they're a lawyer, if they're a graphic designer, you know, they scratch their head saying, nobody can do it as well as I can. And I can't teach this stuff. What specifically did you do? And I'm, I'm really hoping, Jason, you can share some specifics 
to yeah. take what's inside your head, this secret sauce that you've got, and and graft it into someone else's head? Like, what specific steps did you take? So we, there, a couple of things that I did was whenever I sort of onboarded a new writer, we had obviously examples of client emails. So they could see we had, and we had tone as well. So we had clients that were happy to do like cheeky emails. And then we had, you know, uh, a client that was reaching out to, you know, university and professors at university and that language had to be very professional. And so number one, I could show them examples of really good emails, um, show them examples of bad emails. And so the more that I could show, like, this is what's good and bad, that would be, that was a starting point. The second thing that I would do um, is I would, and and I did this with a lot of other things, but when they wrote their set of cold emails, um, especially in the beginning, I would check it before we sent it on to the client. But what I would do is I would screen share and go over their emails and show them what I was thinking when I said to them, hey, this, think of this line and this line, there's too much text here. You probably need to remove this because of this and that. Or the way that you've ended this you just said hey let's have a chat that's not a question this has to end in a question like can we chat next week tuesday you know and i would record that send it back to them and so they could get into my head more than just me making notes and or just changing the emails and i you know i still do that too today because i feel like you know sharing video like that allows you get into someone's head and that what they're thinking i'm just speaking about what i'm thinking versus trying to just hey fix this do this do that so that was definitely something that helped to be clear, when when you're doing that screen share with a new employee, and and you're 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 describing, are you saying what you're thinking about Jason Bagley, the owner of the company, or what you're thinking about as the recipient of this email? I.e., the pro, you're putting yourself in the shoes of the prospect and saying, "Here's what a prospect is going to think." when they see the word X or the phrase Y? Like, are you putting yourself in the shoes of the recipient or are you saying, here's what I see when I'm reading your email? Yes, I mean, yeah, that's, I'm putting myself in the prospect to, to say, if I had to read this email, this is what is going through my head um, and okay. reading it out loud, so yes. Got it. So you showed them like the before and after, like good, bad, and really, just displayed examples of good and bad. And then you would do the screen share where you would describe what's going on inside your head as you consume their work effectively. Mm -hmm. That's helpful. Yeah. Was there a third thing you did to, to try to impart what's in your head into the mind of your employees? I, th I think there was one, I mean, <clears throat> the more that I've done this from where there was emails, or when it was design or whatever, I started to realize like, I'm obviously, I'm a perfectionist when it comes to certain things. And what I've, what I realized also is when I sort of handed over the, you know, the responsibility of writing a cold email, often when they, my, you know, team got to like a 90% uh, great email. And I realized that last 10% didn't necessarily make, you know, the difference between them landing, you know, 10 meetings or landing 40 meetings. It was probably, you know, there was not such a big variance in the two because we often, we could test this. And so I knew, I started to let go of realizing the client's going to read their email and go, this is amazing, you know, and they've never seen my email. And so 
you know, that sort of re- realization at the end of the day was also something that helped me get over the fact that like, well, this isn't my work, but this is damn good. Um, and they'll get better over time anyway. And so it was just like, yeah. just landing more clients. It's like, I need to get this through. So it has to go out. Yeah. You kind of got over your perfectionism. I mean, you could probably make it, uh, you know, an A plus their work was an A and, and sure you could tinker with it for hours, but you may only get a very slight lift in response rate and the clients already going to be happy with, with the A. So super helpful. Exactly. So three really actionable tips. That's, that's super helpful for, for me as I think through this process you went through of taking this ninja skill and, and kind of imparting it on others. How many employees did you get to? Like how big was Firing Squad before you decided to sell it? Um, at the time, so we had a couple, we had about four full-time employees that were employed by a firing squad. I started to hire people sort of overseas. And so they weren't like, they, they were contractors, but contracted full-time to us. Um, so mm-hmm. we had, we hadn't grown much. We had like changed the role. So we were at a similar size. We were working with probably around eight people at the time. Got it. Got it. And did you have any sense as an eight-employee company, uh, what you might be worth? Like, were you tinkering with any sort of valuation benchmarks? Did you have any sense of what the company might might be worth? Not at all. I didn't. I didn't understand EBITDA. I, I mean, I understand it now, but I didn't understand EBITDA. I was just trying to, like, at the time, keep the lights on and keep this thing growing. Um, so yeah, no, I didn't. Wow. So you're, you're literally like running a cash, you know, you're, you're, you're making expenditures based on the amount of cash you have in the bank effectively. And, and you're, you're really running this on a kind of cash flow basis. You're not very informal. hundred percent. Yeah. 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 I mean, look, we had accountants and doing all of that, but yes, it was more like, you know, had the clients that weren't paying us on time. So we're struggling with those type of things. And it was like, you know, all those making a ton of mistakes around that. Um, but yeah, that, that was, I was just focused on writing more cold emails. Knowing what you know now, what might you do differently in that vein? Um, yeah, without a doubt, which you know I'm doing now, is I'm, I'm taking very much a profit first uh, approach. So I've learned a lot about profit first, that whole methodology of accounting. Um, and so I know a lot more about that. I understand what EBITDA is. I understand, you know, what, like all the things around building a business of uh, retainers and, um, you know, accepting cash up front. So like, you know, one of the things I learned, you know, and I'm obviously going to touch on the, the, the sale of the business is, you know, having clients pay by credit card, um, you know, and that's on day one. And that's a massive change in the business now. So in South Africa, it's not so easy to do that. You know, clients expect you to give them 30, 60 day terms. It's just one of these things. Um, but I've learned like, no, no more. Um, it's cash upfront on your card. I don't even allow you to do a bank transfer. So there is no, you know, there's those things that I've learned now and implementing right now, which is making my life a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. So what made you want to sell the company? Like, was there a trigger of some sort? Like, what happened? Um, there was, I didn't necessarily want to sell the company, I, I think. It was just a, I guess it was a lure to this 
um, you know, I, I met the owner of the company that bought us um, on Facebook, funny enough. Um, so, and we just started getting chatting. And I think what I was more excited about and, and what the first conversation that happened was I wanted to get more U.S. clients. And so him being in the U.S., his business in the U.S. as well, like, how can we make this work? Like, maybe you can sell my services over there. You take a 30% cut. We'll do all the work here, you know. And that was, we were like, that's a great idea. But after a week of that conversation, uh, it changed to, no, 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 no. I don't want to start another business. It was, I just want to rather acquire your business. And I was like, whoa, that's not what we started off discussing. But okay, what does that look like? What was your reaction to that note when he said, I'm, I'm curious or I want to acquire you? What was your reaction in the first few seconds after hearing that word? My first days were like, oh, I've been down this road before. Um, and I, so I was like very like, uh, I've heard this story before because I have been through, you know, where people are like, oh, let's build some sort of partnership. And, you know, I was like, it just, I was like, my first reaction was like, okay, this is probably going south and probably it. And I said, I just went back to him and said like, okay, make me an offer. If it's somewhere close to what I'm thinking in my head, well, then we can work with this. But obviously, if I knew in my head he was going to go, oh, let's do this and structure it like this, I would have just walked away because I was like, nah, this is a waste of time. Um, so and, when yeah. you made that ultimatum, make me an offer, and if it's anywhere close to what was in my mm. head, what was in your head at the time? Um, I th for, like from a numbers perspective? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think at the time it was, you know, I wanted probably, I actually, to, to tell you the honest truth, it was, I wanted the secure, it, it wasn't actually a, a number that I was looking for, right? Because I wasn't, I knew where the business was at and I knew what I was trying to do with it. So we'd obviously, you know, change the business. And what I was looking for was more of like security of uh, income. That was what I was sort of looking for. And I was like, look, if we can, you know, generate or personally for myself, like if I could earn a US-based salary of like, let's say between five to $7,000 a month, which in Slovenian Rand is a lot of money. Um, and the, you know, and then take up shares potentially in a bigger business, you know, selling my part of the business for shares in a bigger business that I could help grow. I think that was what, excited me more than go, oh, here, Jason, here is, you know, half a million dollars or, you know, $200,000 or whatever that number was. I um, mean, that was where the, you know, that's where the conversation sort of started. What was going on for you personally at the time making security of a steady paycheck so alluring? Um, I think it was because of so much what was happening within firing squad is we had a lot of client churn like we couldn't solve the churn um we would sign clients for two three months we would either knock the the lights out and they'd say they would turn the tap off and say we can't handle the number of leads and that happened a few times or the opposite obviously where it was like we tried certain industries that you know they'd come to us and say help us and we would book them like two three meetings and that's not enough for what we were charging. And then, you know, cool, this is great. We tried it, move on. 
Um, and so that, you know, constantly, even though, yes, it was a retainer-based business, clients weren't sticking around for long enough. And so that was where, you know, I was just hustling, trying to get new clients in and we we're taking on things that we shouldn't be taking on um, as well, just to, you know, keep the lights on. Yeah. And so that, that constant sense of just running on a treadmill was exhausting, it sounds like. It's just like always trying to fill the leaky bucket. And, and so for you, if I'm understanding correctly, the idea of five to 7,000 US dollars, which again, in South Africa is a lot more money that would be for a US listener hearing that, w was alluring. It was like, yeah, that sounds great. Did you, in your mind, need some sort of guarantee on the length of that income? Like, did you say five to seven grand a month for a year or two? Or did, was it just you figured you could earn it based on your results? So, so like, help me get inside the head of your head at that point. Yeah, so I mean, that was just on the, I mean, that was just on the, the like, that's just the salary. I was sort of earning close to that already uh, with the business. Um, it was like, obviously, a security of that. But then I also wanted to go, listen, you like we were discussing sort of like dangling a carrot in front of us like okay cool if you hit these certain milestones then obviously you know certain cash gets released and i was like that's great for to a point and i said i'm not necessarily after the money i'm i needed to own a piece of this so if i'm going to give you the business or i mean that's really what we happened i like gave them the business and said but I want a piece of yours because I can see the potential in your business and I want to help grow that. And if I can grow that, so give me a piece of it. I'm an entrepreneur. I want a piece of it, right? Because if you just say, hey, here's your sales target tonight, I often, well, I'm going to get bored and leave anyway. Um, and so that was what alerted me. He's going, okay, cool. I'm going to swap my company for a piece, smaller piece of yours. If I grow it, that number increased. So we, we had agreed on that. And that's what made it really exciting because I saw the potential in in the business. I was like, wow, the, the way it's been executed now, I think I could definitely help with that um, and grow, help grow it. Yeah. So so that's helpful. You were so you were looking for a steady paycheck plus a piece of the action, a piece of the the acquiring company's business to become a minority shareholder in, in the acquiring company. Um, that's great. The acquiring company uh, uh, Sitecare, um, for folks listening who may not have heard of that, uh, that company before. And, and as I understand, Sitecare was stitching together a few businesses in the WordPress um, uh, website ownership, helping people secure their WordPress, improve the responsiveness mm -hmm. of it, and so forth. Uh, lots of different offerings in that space. And so in your mind, you were like, yeah, if I can get a piece of, 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 of site care plus a steady salary. That sounds good. What was, so did, what was your reaction to his preliminary you know, first offer? Did, did, is that what came through or did he offer something else? You know, the, the first offer was very much like, cool, uh, pay this, we'll take over the clients and we'll put in sort of, um, uh, revenue milestones. And then based on that, you know, you'll earn, you know, uh, a decent uh, payouts every sort of year. Um, and I was like, that's not bad. I didn't think it was terrible. And I was, and I, the only real change was I just went, okay. I mean, obviously I negotiated up. So I went and negotiated up and then said, no, I don't want those milestones. You, that's not going to motivate me. I said, you've got to give me a piece of your company. 
Um, and what was their reaction? It, it went smoothly. Like it took, yeah, and uh, it took less than a month of us. You know, we had a couple of Zoom calls and obviously got the lawyers involved just to finalize the paperwork. But it was a month from when we, not from when we first met, but from when we were like having the conversation to signing and starting. How did you guys arrive at a percentage of site care that you would own? What, what was the math there? Like, um, how did you come up with that percentage? Yeah, the math, it was, it was like what we were doing, the way I worked it out was like what revenue we were doing at this, at that stage, equaling what revenue they were doing, obviously a much, much larger business and going, okay, I'm going to give you this revenue. Like you're going to get this revenue. It was just really based off that and going, so give me it straight up what that's worth in percentage. And then when we hit these milestones, um, I want another 5%, I want another 5%, I want another 5%. So it sort of grew like that. Okay, that's super helpful. And just to put some round numbers around this, like what were what would you guys been at roughly revenue-wise at this time? Uh, we were probably doing... I mean, now, now I need to sort of like do a quick, quick, <laughs> quick math conversion into dollars, but I would say we were probably doing 200, $250,000 at that stage. Yeah, yeah, we were. Yes, we were doing around that, yeah. So, so about a quarter million dollars of revenue per year. And yeah. then what would Care have been doing per year ballpark at that time? Uh, yeah, I don't know if I can share that number, unfortunately. Okay, yeah. Yeah, no, that's fine. That's fine. But for, for round numbers, it, you know, if they were doing two and a half million, you were doing 250 grand, you kind of said, okay, well, give me 10 points of, of site care. That was sort of the math you guys were doing. Exactly. Yes, exactly. That was the math. Yes. Got it. Got it. Okay. And so, so you go through, you, you, you arrive at this deal um, and, and, and fairly quick order, you agree to it. What happens next? Um, what happens next is we sort of make the announcement and I tell my team and we, you know, I tell the clients that we've got, um, that we're going to now start billing them, um, in, uh, us dollars. We converted what they were paying from rands to us dollars exactly. Um, and then also, but at the same time, then tripled up, pretty much tripled our prices, which completely freaked me out because I was like, how can I go back to people that are in my pipeline and tell them, sorry. Um, but I learned such a great lesson from that where, um, you know, they were either going to say no or they were going to say yes. And if they said no, I learned. And if they said yes, I was like, cool, we just made three times what we were you're charging. Um, so yeah, it just, it, it, that was it. It just, you know, we carried on and, and started to sort of grow and land more clients. How did you justify the increased uh, cost? Like, what did you say? It's going it to cost times more. Uh, what was your... It was quite easy. I, I got to blame the American company. I was like, hey, guys, we just got acquired. It was literally that. I was like, I'm sorry. I was like apologizing because obviously this is my relationship. I'm like, I'm so sorry, but, you know, you know I've been acquired. And unfortunately, they've told me it ha- this is what I have to charge. And I'm, I understand if you say no, but this is what it is. And it worked. Like it, it, it worked. <laughs> Good cop, bad cop. Love it. Okay, yeah, so totally. you increase prices. Things are going swimmingly. What happened 
specifically that led you to lose your shares in Sitecare? Maybe just walk through that lesson for folks. Yeah, it wasn't that I, so it wasn't that I actually lost the shares. I think the biggest, what I did was I made, I had a lawyer, like I had a lawyer look at the paperwork and there was a big trust factor in the, there's a lot of trust involved in the, the legal side because if something went wrong, I would have to get on an airplane, fly to the US and now, you know, suicide care, which is like, was not going to happen, right? And the same vice versa. So if something went wrong on my side, they'd have to fly here and like, you know, so it was like, there was a trust factor on that side. But what I also didn't do, and, and this is such hindsight, it's like now, like the last three months, I've actually figured this out. So like, I didn't show this contract to any of my friends. I, I, my ego got in front of me and I showed them numbers like to help me figure out a, a number, but I never showed them the contract. And if I had done that, I would have realized that I, what, I, what I thought I was getting and was actual shares in the business, but what I was getting was a contractor's agreement that meant that, I, that based on you know, revenue, I was getting a percentage of you know, dividends based on revenue. But if I left or any of us decided to close this, well, this contractor's agreement is null and void on either side. And, you know, so I don't act, I was never a share, actual shareholder. Um, yeah, it's a hard lesson to learn. Yeah, yeah. So you, you learned that, in fact, you didn't get pure, you know, equity inside care. You, you had the rights to a, a dividends that, uh, or percentage of the profits if you remained employed effectively. But if you were to leave, then you would forfeit those rights effectively. Yeah, exactly. What was it like to learn that? <laughs> um, it was, yeah, it was a big, I'd really left or it was in that time where I realized, well, what, what could I do about it? I couldn't do anything about it. And I was like, I guess at a stage thinking, you know, it was my time to sort of move on anyway. And um, I'd learned a ton. I think I'd learned so many great things that I, that I wasn't, oh my word, I've just given up this big payday. It was more like now I know what I didn't know before. Um, so there was a bit of positive that I, I want, I'm a naturally positive person. So as much as I could have dwelled in the fact that, you know, this is, ha this had happened, I wrote, I definitely lent into the fact that like, I've learned all this stuff. I then have now, you know, told my friends that I should have shown you this guys. And I showed them the contract then I said, this was the dumbest thing I should have shown you guys. Cause they looked at me and said, yeah, we would have spotted this immediately. Um, and cause they're, they're obviously also, also entrepreneurs, um, so yeah, it, it wasn't a, like, I felt terrible. I just learned, damn, that was a big lesson to learn. But at the same time, I learned like a good one to learn. But at the same time, I'm walking away with some really good things as well. Um, it, it sounds very like, you know, Pinteresty board this, but honestly, that's how I felt. Yeah, no, it it's, doesn't sound Pinteresty at all. I mean, it, it sounds, <laughs> uh, it sounds 
like we all learn these lessons the hard way when, you know, it, it, we least expect it. Where were you? Can you describe like where were you when you came to the realization that that you had forfeited these what you thought were shares? Like were you in your lawyer's office? Were you like talking on the phone to the site care founder? Like can you remember like when it kind of became very clear to you what you'd done? When so when we were sort of negotiating an, an exit, uh, like we'd, we were sort of chatting to okay, listen, you know, probably this is not the best, you know, place. Well, it was a sort of a two way thing. Like I was being held back from like really like del- like being the best, you know, version of me. Like what are you? You're not getting the best out of me. Number one, and I think the two was like you know I probably need to go and do my own thing again. And so when when I started to go, okay, cool, well, what's this number that I'm going to now ask you for or what number are you going to give me um, to sort of leave that I then, you know, we started looking at those numbers and I hadn't even pulled up the contract. We were just trying to figure that out without it because the minute you start going into the contract, it just starts getting ugly. And then I just wanted to like double check the, the, the percentages and things like that. And then I started to read it. And that was when I was like, oh, wait a second. Like, he doesn't actually have to give me a cent. Like, he doesn't have to give me $1. Like, he could just end this and that would be it. I've got no leg to stand on. And so that changed, I guess, not how I negotiated, I don't think, but it just changed my like, oh, okay, I'm not owed a cent here. So, well, you know, be a nice guy. So hopefully get something out of it. What? Uh, what did you do about your lawyer? I mean, your lawyer obviously vetted the agreements. They would have helped sort of structure this. What did what recourse did you have with them? Um, I yeah, I, I didn't actually go back to them. You know, at the end point when I realized this this mistake. Um, so yeah, I guess there wasn't. I mean, yeah, I, I play back now. Did I have that conversation? Like, did he actually bring it up um, to me? So, hey, you're not actually getting shares in it. And I think I was like being too nice about it. Going, no, 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 this is like, you know, it's going to be a good thing. And, and he said to me, listen, there's a there's a lot of this like trust that factor in here. Because he said like, you can't, are you going to get on a plane and fly to the US to, to sue, you know, the company if anything goes wrong? I was like, Probably not. Like the numbers aren't that large enough. Like I wouldn't be able to afford the lawyer on that side. It wouldn't be worth that much. And so, you know, for the amount of time. And so, no, there wasn't any, I didn't have any recourse. I didn't even think about, you know, I haven't even thought about it to today. I, I thought it was, it was my mistake for not actually showing, not the lawyer. I think the lawyer just looked at the paper and like, this is good. Like these, what you've asked for, the way you structured it, thinking this is what I was after, right? you know, contract disagreement with the US company that, that looked good to him. But it wasn't, you know, if I showed it to my friends, my entrepreneurial friends, they would have gone, dude, what are you doing? You know, just change this one line or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. We all get saved from time to time by our entrepreneurial 
forum mates or friends or you know people that have been there and i guess that's you know a lot of what we try to do on this show is is share uh both the highs and some of the things to avoid right so that people learn and i'm Mm. I'm super grateful for you sharing both the highs and the lows because i think it it really is uh is educational for folks but out of the ashes rose this giant phoenix so tell me a little bit more about the new company copy check because this sounds like an awesome business yeah so the part that i loved doing from fire squad was the writing i guess writing of cold emails but understanding what businesses did and what problems they solved because that was what we included in cold emails and using my marketing and sales background sort of built this business that yeah called copy check and we focus specifically on marketing and sales copywriting um almost at the moment actually you're it's like an outsourced cmo so you're coming to me for consulting actually but then i'm going to go cool we need to rewrite this landing page your sales collateral your pitch deck um anything that's going to is you know going to convince someone to now start some sort of a business relationship with you a lot of people you know, struggle to write about their business in a way it's, you know, oh, we were founded in 2008 and we've got 25 employees and these are our services. Nobody cares. Like, no one cares about that. They want to know what problems you solve for them. And so that, and I'm, I'm, I mean, really, really enjoying that uh, at the moment. That's and awesome. so, yeah, that's what it is. So the, co- so the company's called Copy Check. Give, give us a plug for the website. Where can people find Copy Check? Yeah, it's getcopycheck.com. Um, that's the, the website. Um, other than that, I mean, I'm obviously on LinkedIn. I think those are the two main, main places to find yeah. anything about copy check. And we'll put Jason's, uh, LinkedIn profile in the show notes at built And, and that's the best place for people to reach out and say hi on social. It sounds like definitely. Yeah. Jason. This was super fun. I learned a lot and I appreciate you spending the time and sharing your story. Um, congratulations on copy check and um, thank you for doing this. Pleasure, John. It's been fun. And there you have it for today's interview with Jason Bagley. We hope you enjoyed it. For show notes, including links to everything referenced in today's episode, along with definitions for some of the more technical terms that were used, go ahead and visit the episode page, which again can be found over at builttosell.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, then be sure you're subscribed to Built to Sell Radio on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you know of someone who would make a great guest right here on Built to Sell Radio, you can actually nominate them by heading over to builttosell.com slash nominate, where there you can nominate someone else or yourself to be a guest right here on the show with John. Special thanks to Dennis Labataglia for handling the audio engineering and thank you to our community of certified value builders who help us bring our message to you. Our advisor community are experts in helping you build the value of your company. To get in touch with an advisor or learn how to become one yourself, head over to valuebuilder.com. I'm Colin Morgan. Talk to you again next week.